Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the photography podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 139. Welcome back, everybody, to the Photog Adventures podcast. Today is going to be special. I am really excited to start off this featuring a side of the Milky Way that all of you practically, almost universally, I have a few names that I can name on one hand that I know follow the show that are from the Southern Hemisphere, and we're actually going to feature the Milky Way on the side of the Earth that most of you have never been and are not from. So before we get into that, I just want to tell you guys, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and the YouTube channel. If you enjoy this content, don't thank me, thank the patrons. The patrons over at patreon.com slash photogadventures. Thanks guys for joining me. Let's get rolling with episode 140 and talk to a guy who is a guru, a master, co-host Mark G. Mark comes from Australia. He works in the film industry doing special effects. And right now he's working on a film that comes out in a couple months. And Mark, it's so good to have you back. I can't believe it's taken two years to do it. Thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, no problem, Darren. It's, it's like two years, but it hasn't seen that long. Can't I know, lies. right? I can't believe it. I look back to see what no- number it was that you were on and you were on episode 34. So it's been 100 oh. episodes where it's released weekly and that's definitely two years, but I actually missed a couple weeks here and there. So it's more than two years that we've hung out. That's just craziness. I can't believe how fast it's gone. So Mark, I've mentioned the Southern Hemisphere. I can't hold back because... I, I, I feel like with Milky Way Wednesday, I get on with people and I talk about the the view of the Milky Way and I like to share Southern Hemisphere information as well as Northern Hemisphere information, but I'm yep. doing it entirely from a mathematical photo pill standpoint. I have only that information. And so this is as much as I understand your guys' Milky Way. You get out, n- night hits, it's finally dark, and your Milky Way, well, I think in the last few months, if not still right now, yep. your Milky Way is a above you, straight above you, and you have to wait for the core to get lower for a foreground subject. Yeah. Is yeah. that, ex- that's exactly how it goes for you? It's pretty much like that now. It's, it's sort of getting to the stage where at dark, it's, it's almost low enough. Um, so you don't have to wait out too, too long. But the problem here is we've just gone into daylight saving. So it's getting darker later and later. And by oh. November or so, we, we have light until about 1030 at night. Um, so, but as soon as it, as soon as it goes dark, it, the Milky Way is right on the horizon and you've got about an hour to capture it and that's it. So when you're talking November specifically, you barely get an hour to capture when you see it, yep. but it's on the horizon and about to set. It stays dark longer. It's just setting on the horizon. Yeah. It's just sitting on the, well, we've got more light in November because um, opposite seasons to you guys. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's on the horizon, just about to set and you have about an hour. And by December, time December comes around, the core is below the horizon, so we don't get to see it then. And it doesn't make Even a... Even though you... It sort of reappears again late January, early February, like about 4 a.m. in the morning. And that's when you finally get to go back at it and capture. Yeah. Yep. During our best months for Milky Way, where the core is in a good position, and you guys have it at also at those great months, but it's winter. Mm-hmm. You guys have tons of darkness you have 10 hours some nights with the actual milky way core visible that's incredible how usable are those 10 hours or does does it typically end up with the milky way core that's so high you can't really compose an image around it yeah it is a little tricky during the middle of winter here um to to get it 
Milky Way shot well composed. Um, and that's why you see a lot of panos shot around the southern hemisphere in New Zealand because they shoot these big, huge panos so you can get the whole Milky Way core. You get the bows, the Milky Bows sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and just <laughs> simply because the Milky Way is so high, um, you, you have to shoot, shoot tiles to, to fit it into your focal, length, focal field of view. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing to see during winter at night, but it's, it's quite difficult to shoot it with foreground subjects. Oh, man, I bet. So with that being the reality, does that mean you hardly ever capture the Milky Way before midnight and you've only captured it early in the mornings? Um, well, in, in winter, I usually, yeah, usually I wait, wait till after midnight and, until it starts to get a little bit lower. Uh, but and, and at the start of the year, it's the same. Like at the start of the year, you're up around 4 a.m. to see it rise from the east. So it rises from the east. And then as March, April comes along, that's prime time for the Milky Way because you can get out uh, as it gets dark and watch it rise for the east. And then as uh, winter comes along, it gets higher. And then as you get towards October, November, it goes along the horizon. So we, we have prime viewing all year round. It's just, you know, different times of different year, you have to sort of adapt and shoot different angles. Yeah, that's something that's incredible. For those of you who might not be understanding this just by experience already, in our latitude, I say our because a lot of listeners of this podcast are in the United States, they're over in Europe, and we are all around roughly the same latitude. And we're looking at a Milky Way that basically does the same thing all year round, where you have the core kind of cradled on the horizon, sometimes a little higher and then most of the time dipping. And then that core travels across the sky. It goes from panorama position to 45 degree angle position to a whole vertical Milky Way. And then, you know, later in this year, you start having a setting Milky Way that's tilted on the right. Well, with Southern Hemisphere, Mark, you guys get a Milky Way that will rise, go up high in the sky, and then mm-hmm. go and ride and set in the opposite side of the sky. That's and right, some yeah. nights you can even see that extreme movement all in the entire night. Yeah, and that's what's that's why shooting time lapses, especially in the winter time, is so great. Um, <laughs> and, and including like if you're using motion control, you can set your motion control to point straight up and capture the core and follow the core as it sets. So I've I've shot time lapses where. <laughs> It's basically following the core and, and until it gets right down towards the horizon there. Oh, that's so beautiful. Our Milky yeah. Way core barely moves along our horizon, honestly, within the same night. It spends a small little degree of space that really that azimuth of there to there takes up very little movement, but you can have such a dramatic movement. Do you almost have to have something following the Milky Way with a motion sensor to time lapse it, or do you, can you capture it easy enough with a wide enough angle? Oh, yeah, a wide enough angle. Like 14mm um, is usually my go-to lens. Uh, for just a single exposure Milky Way shot, and that's that's wide enough usually to capture it. Okay, but Man. yeah, but and, and in, including time lapses, like you you can have your time lapse locked off on the tripod with a fourteen mil, and you just get the rotation of the Milky Way through the sky, um, and that's that's all you need as well. Have you ever captured a day to night time lapse, or do you only capture night to day time lapses? No, well, actually, I've caught a day to night to day really? time lapse, so thirteen hours in total. Oh, um, wow. And that was that was like towards the start of the year. I think it was about March or so. So I, I shot sunset and then panned around and caught the Milky Way rising and just before sunrise and then the sun rising to the east. <laughs> okay. So the sun set yeah. in the west and you had yep. to move your camera over, pan over to where the Milky Way would rise on the east side just yep. before the mil- the sun itself was rising over there in the east That's side. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's intense. Yeah, I got to have the right gear. It was, to go. Yeah. I had no idea 
if it would work or how it would turn out, but I was quite surprised how well it did turn out. What'd you end up doing for your bull bramping to tra- can't, you know, cover all the different ranges of, of light that you had to expose for? Yeah, I used the uh, time-lapse plus view to automatically change the exposure. Uh, that was in the early days, like I think they had it on, um, you know, to fund it and I, I was part of that and I bought it my unit and that was like probably my first test with it actually. So <laughs> oh, yeah. it worked so well. Yeah. You went for the holy grail of all time lapses with your first test. I, I did. <laughs> yep, I just threw it out there. Oh my gosh. Okay, awesome. So then when you're working on a time lapse like that, and I'm picturing Wellington, it's up north. You have probably plenty of interesting subjects looking, you know, east or west. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking about specifically my trailblazer adventure where I'm coming to New Zealand in August. I'm flying into Christchurch. We're driving 2,000 yep. kilometers, hitting the mountain ranges, and then going all the way down to Invercargill, and then taking the mm-hmm. coastline all the way back up to Christchurch. So I'll hit yep. Lake Wanaka. I'll hit, you know, to the the um, Takapo Dark Sky, yep. you know, see the gr- Church of Good Trail and, yeah. Shepherd. But at that time of year, August, I have to look virtually southeast in order to see anything. So I'm kind of looking away from the lake, the tree, at the Wanaka tree out there. I'm going to have to be standing um, in waist-deep yeah. water, right, to see the Milky Way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. well, at, at that point in time, it, it you know, depends on what time you shoot. Um, but if you capture it to the west at Wanaka, you could get it. Yeah, if you're waist-deep looking at the Wanaka tree, you could get it over the top of the Wanaka tree. Um, but you'd have it. to be out there getting wet. <laughs> I'm okay with that because that's such a goal for me. That'd be so cool. Before the Wanaka tree gets destroyed by Instagrammers, I got to get out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so then, thinking of Southern Hemisphere Milky Way, Mark, you've only shot in New Zealand and Australia for you began out there, or did you do any Milky Way in the Northern Hemisphere? Uh, I've done a little bit of Milky Way in the Northern Hemisphere um, on the photo field camps, and I've also uh, been to Norway as well. Yeah, uh, done done some stuff in Norway, um, but yeah, it's always I always love coming back to the Southern Hemisphere because I just. I, it's either I haven't had luck up there, or although Norway is amazing with the aurora, yeah. Uh, but just just the the night skies down here, I just haven't found somewhere that beats it yet. Oh man, so, okay. Yeah. I love the Utah night skies, and I'll brag about them. But if you haven't had good luck, I don't know if it's just clouds or if it's just the way yeah. the Milky Way is positioned. Because showing only half of the good parts of the Milky Way has got to be disappointing for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, I get like it was a little bit of a disappointment to what I what I saw there. Um, but then I figured I haven't been out to some of the really dark national parks in in the US, for example, uh, or anything like that. So I'm I'm still willing to get up there and, and give it another go and, and see what I can get. How much is it going to take for me to give you to get you out here? That'd be awesome to have you come out. Oh, here. I've, I've had yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me if I'm I'm coming out that way, um, and I I do intend to. It's just a matter of finding the right time to do it. Um, you know, next next year maybe. Who knows? <laughs> awesome. Time for us to do a Kickstarter and have Mark G come join us out in the West. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have experienced the Northern Hemisphere, do you have enough experience where you could say what would be one of the major not the obvious difference, but what's a major difference mm-hmm. that maybe we wouldn't think of between shooting Milky Way in the north versus the south? Um it, well it just it just looks different. It just it looks a little different to, to what we have in the south. Uh, we also have um, two dwarf galaxies, satellite galaxies, which oh, you don't yeah. see, the melogenic cloud, the large and small one. Right. Um, and that's that's quite a feature of the southern skies as well. Um, so that's that's the big difference. 
Well, then, for those of us going out in August in 2020, we're going to be there the 17th through the 24th. Um, what advice would you give us to make sure that we're ready for it when we get there? Um, the big advice would be make sure you have a lens here because oh. it gets it gets cold here, and we and we once it drops below the dew point, your lens starts to sort of fog up. It gets condensation on it. Yeah. Um, sometimes sometimes it's okay, but um, it's always good to have one because I've been caught out quite a few times where I've been shooting, and then you'll suddenly see the the fog and, and the lens sort of all on the inside too, and you can't it. get rid of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. So you just have your little uh, lens heater strap around your lens, um, and it'll keep it above dew point right throughout the night, and you won't have any issues whatsoever. Some people use hand warmers and they tape it on their lens as well. But I, I think the worked. lens heaters, yeah, that that works. But you know, you only got an hour or so, or maybe two of that working before there's oh, not enough heat in it. Um, but with you know the lens lens heater straps, they're cheap, and you can run them off a USB power bank. Um, that does the trick and you can shoot all night. That's brilliant. I wouldn't, I would have completely forgotten that I get spoiled all the time out here in Utah because of the desert. And so I get mm -hmm. people coming from the East coast who come to workshops and they've got theirs and they, they show it to me and I'm like, Oh, Oh, right. No, you don't, you don't need that. I forgot to even yeah. think about it because I don't even own one because it's just, mm -hmm. it's never a problem. It's so dry. I don't have yeah. a problem. It could get cold and it's still clean. The only time Let's I've get. ever had a problem with condensation in my lens is when I've held it next facing my body when I was looking at the camera out in Oregon. So I had humidity and I kind of put my body up against the lens. So then it caused the heat for my body plus the condensation in the inside to form. Right. And other than that, I've never had condensation on my lens. So I would have completely overlooked that. So yes, lens heater for Southern, for Southern Island. Okay. I would have missed that completely. Yep. Yep. <laughs> definitely, definitely worth it. So like you don't need it all the time, but there's there are times where you know there's so much dew in the air, and 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 when it gets cold, it freezes as well. So you don't want your <laughs> and it's going to be the winter in August. Your lens. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. The last question I'll ask you before I let we start going to more of your adventures together. But this Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand. I'm picturing the way that it looks in photo pills, and it shows the Milky Way come down, and. Is it as parallel with the with the horizon as it looks? The Milky Way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's straight across. Wow. You get okay. to a point where it goes straight across. How how do you form a composition around something that's parallel? It's nice when it intersects with the horizon. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting. Like it's shooting, if you get a straight landscape and and you know a straight horizon with a straight Milky Way above, you got you know the parallels and okay. it's just you know some really nice composition. And you also can find some. You know some rock features that sort of point up, and you might be able to get in underneath a little further and, and get that sort of intersecting with the Milky Way. So there's there's various you know compositions that you can get. Cool. Well, then in the last segment of the podcast, I'm going to ask you about some locations that you've been in that area. Have you been to the Southern Island a few times that you can think of a few spots? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, it's definitely my definitely my favorite location down there. Any spots that you're okay with sharing with us on the podcast? I'm oh, going to ask you that in a few oh, segments. Course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. There, there's, there's lots. There's lots. Oh my gosh. Them. Guys, I can't wait to experience the Southern Hemisphere Milky Way. It sounds like not only with the extra awesomeness of the large and small Magellanic clouds, but you're going to have the Milky Way core that you usually see kind of fade away at the horizon is still there. All that action towards the center of our galaxy is visible from all the way to the right, all the way to the left. You see 
all of it. The tiara, the great tiara of space. You see everything. Mm. You're not just looking at the back of the headband that's on there. It, you see everything. And I just can't wait to see it, guys. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. Okay, let's take our first break of the podcast with Mark G. Then we'll come back and talk more specifically about his adventures. Go. There is no better place for me to call my first trailblazer adventure than New Zealand, Southern Island. Going to the Southern Hemisphere and seeing the Milky Way in a way I've never ever seen before and I can't wait to go. So for $1,200, there's five spots available for you to join me out in New Zealand in August from August 17th through 24th out in New Zealand. Did I mention New Zealand? This is going to be an intense workshop where we are going to be blitzing from Christchurch and going you know, 2,000 kilometers, driving in a loop all along the mountain range and then all along the coastline, hitting really cool destinations that you're already aware of, like the Church of Good Shepherd or the Wanaka Tree down at Lake Wanaka. And we're just going to see some amazing stuff, landscape and Milky Way. My goal is to find all the Milky Way locations that I want to do for a future Milky Way workshop there. So if you can't go this year, join me in future workshops out there. It's just it won't be as inexpensive as $1,200. It's going to be a lot more affordable this year if you want to join me, but you have to be an adventurer, you have to be patient, and you should be able to hike some. And if you can't hike and you don't want to hike with us, you can be left in the car in that area, but man, I just I won't be able to be there to keep you safe and make sure everyone's healthy and safe and together. So we're hoping to get a good group that could all go to every location together and just have a crazy fun adventure there. So check out workshops.photogadventures.com and see the link there for the New Zealand Southern Island Workshop and check it out. Again, that's workshops.photogadventures.com. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everybody. We were just talking with Mark G and we're talking Southern Hemisphere Milky Way. Now, Mark, thinking about going out with camera, you got a full-time job. You get out there with your camera the same way that almost 90% of the people listening to the podcast do. You get out on adventures, mm-hmm. fitting it into your life. Yep. Where was the last place or what's, what's an adventure that stands out to you that you've gone on recently? Um, I guess I've started going up to um, Great Barrier Island, which is just off Auckland. And um, I, it's it's an international dark sky reserve. Uh, sorry, sanctuary, not a reserve. We got we got oh, we're lucky. Yeah, so we, we're lucky here in New Zealand. We got two dark sky reserves, or one dark sky reserve and two dark sky sanctuaries. And Great Barrier Island is a sanctuary, so it is dark out there. It is so dark, and I was quite surprised because Auckland, you know, there's a bit of light pollution, but once you head out to the to the Great Barrier Island, there's absolutely nothing, and you're looking straight. All you've got between you and, you know, there's the ocean and then there's South America on the other side with a couple of <laughs> Polynesian islands halfway in between. Um, but it is really dark. And I've started having workshops up there and never being there, like the first time I was up there, it was incredible. Um, the last time I was up there, it was incredible too. We, we went down to the beach um, on the eastern side and absolutely no one. It's like a dirt road to get down there and everything. And as we came over the sand dunes, uh, you could see something in the water glowing, and it was bioluminescence. So every time the wave, really, yeah. So every time the wave were breaking, you could see a glowing blue, and it was oh, quite man. a surreal experience. And and we just all just walked along this beach for ages and stopped at various spots and, and took photos. Um, the tide was going out, so the sand was wet, so you got reflections as well on on the on the oh. beach and. It was such a, such a surreal experience, and it was just an amazing experience. And there was just like 10 of us, basically. And it was so good. 
Like, you know, I, I, usually, yeah, I usually go out and shoot the Milky Way by myself and I really enjoy that, but it was really good to share the experience like this. Um, and yeah. I'm, it's something like that that's a bucket list for everyone already and mm. you can't predict it. No. So you had no idea it was coming. No, I, I didn't know. I Like I knew they do get a fair bit of bioluminescence there and the first year I went there, we, we kind of got it, um, but I'd never seen it as bright as what I saw that night. So how do you describe it? Is it only visible against things that it's hitting, like coastline, rock yeah, shoreline? So, yeah, so when the, when the waves break, you it's it's kind of surreal because you're looking, you, you think, is someone shining a torch out there on that wave or something like that? <laughs> and it's, it's a faint glow, and you kind of, your eyes and brains trying to think, am I actually seeing something or is that wave glowing? And when you take a photo of it, it's, it's obviously with a long exposure, it comes out quite bright, like a bright blue. And yeah, it's it's really incredible. Oh, how do you even begin to plan your bottom third of your composition where you're trying to use up the bioluminescence in the shot, yep. but you don't know exactly where it happens? Is it just like wave photography and you're hit and go, hit and go? Yeah, hit and go, hit and go. There. Like every time, you know, you don't know when the, the waves are going to come and break to, to stir up the plankton. Um, but yeah, like I'm... These days, I am shooting a lot of um, stack. I do a bit of stacking, so I'm shooting like 15 exposures, uh, you know, and stack them all together. So within that 15 exposures, you get, you know, one or two good hits of the bioluminescence. Right, and with that kind of stack, you got a moving bunch of waves. So what mm-hmm. are you keeping in the stack? What are you trying to just the rocks itself and sky? Yeah, I just yeah. Well, I keep I, you know, the landscape stacks up together, and and you know you get multiple bioluminescence on on different waves breaking. So it's quite an interesting effect. Oh, that's not uh, bad at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't mind I don't mind that effect. It, it looks quite good. Um, but yeah, and obviously the sky moves, so you have to treat that separately. Because um, I'm on a Mac, I use Starry Landscape Stacker, and it just makes the whole process really easy to do. Um, just going to ask you that if you use Starry Landscape or Sequator or anything yeah, you'd recommend, yeah. but Starry so, yeah, Landscape Stacker has been those, solid. Yeah, for PCs, uh, Sequator, for sure. Uh, for the Mac, you can't beat Starry Landscape Stacker. Right. It's, yeah. it's too easy. Yeah, it's too easy. So you mentioned this back two years ago, and you're going to mention it again now. You mentioned sharing it with people and showing them your terrain and saying, look at this terrain, and then watch what happens when I stack these 10-plus images in here. And they're like, whoa, my gosh, it turns to butter. Everything looks good. Yeah. Uh, what two pieces of advice would you give people who are thinking about stacking? Because some want to change their settings. Some don't change their settings. Some actually do something different for a stack versus just a single image. How do you tackle your stacks? Yeah, well, I've, I've been experimenting a bit as far as you know even my exposures for the milky way and what i can get out of and whether i you know shoot different you know exposures for the landscape but i'm pretty much staying you know true to what i've always shot um although i am shortening my exposures a little bit now i'm shooting around 15 seconds whereas in the past i've shot double that up to 30 seconds um you know with the modern cameras these days you can just pull so much more detail out of you know, those exposures, um, and especially right. with stacking, you lose, you know, you lose all that noise. Um, so you have so much more to play for. So I pretty much shoot, you know, it's stacks of 15 second exposures. Um, you know, F4, I, I stop my lens down a tiny bit as well, just to get rid of some, some of the artifacts if I'm using F2.8 lens. Um, so F4 and I usually shoot between 6,400 and sometimes I even push it to 10,000 depending on how dark the situation is. So when you're stacking, you'll actually find yourself bringing your ISO higher. Yeah, I, I try and I still try and be mindful about that. Um, but if you know, I'm not getting as much you know 
out of the environment, out of out of the um, landscape, I will push it to ten thousand because I know I can reduce a whole lot of that noise with stacking. And we must, yeah. And I've done I've done experiments with the stacks. Like I've stacks, you know, tried stacking like five, ten, fifteen, twenty. I've found fifteen photos around the sweet spot. Um, if you go twenty, you don't have any noticeable difference. But between ten and fifteen, there's quite a bit of noticeable difference. So I, I found oh. that fifteen photos is my sweet spot. That is a good note to have because everyone's right now is taking notes and that's the big question we're asked. How many do I need to do? Eight? Is eight enough? Is seven? Fifteen is kind of a sweet spot, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like ten, you know, you still get a good result out of ten, but you know, you just get that little extra out of the extra five. Just, I remember specifically leaving the podcast with you going, I am going to stack my foreground next time. And the next opportunity I had, it was May Escalante out of these rocks. And I got up in position in front of Jeff and Brendan and I was capturing these rocks and I'm going off. I just, I'm turning a time lapse on and I let it run for 20. I'm like, I'm doing it like Mark G. I'm going to take this <laughs> shot like Mark G. It's going to be the best. And then I go back home and I stack it together. And I'm like, I, I can't see the difference. I couldn't see the difference at the way that I did it then, but now I've learned Sequator and started Landscape Stacker, mm -hmm. and I see how I kept looking for a difference in my Milky Way core. I kept wanting All to right. see a big, huge change there, and then right. I realized, no, the change is down here in your darker, lower contrast areas in your frame. Yep. All of them yep. went from grainy to butter, and so yep. that's where yep. I finally realized. Uh, you do it for mostly your foreground as well. What do you do your stacking for? It's, it's mostly just quality of image to get out of out of it. Just I stack for the noise to, to remove as much noise as possible. Um, Even you know, in you your sky? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do get a little bit of extra detail that, that you can pull out of the Milky Way. Um, you know, especially if you start shooting you know, lower ISO, you'll get a little bit more color information as well. Um, but yeah, it, you can definitely get more detail out of it um, by stacking, even though it doesn't seem like it, it. You can you notice the difference. You can. Okay, it's something that if you look at your images side by side, one stack, one not, you would notice right away. That oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, attention. Yeah. yeah, and then, and when I do when I do workshops and things like that, that's that's exactly what I do. I'll stack the image, and then I'll show them the before and after, and you get gasps out of people. that go, oh my god, you know, <laughs> they can't right. believe it. That's yeah. the the big eureka moment that everyone yeah. paid for to be there like yes what do you do with your images do you keep them raw and stack the raws or do you export jpegs and stack the jpegs yeah i'm do always no i always stack uh 16 bit tips um in starry landscape stacker okay. so i keep as much information as possible i do when i i do a, like a really light pass in, in lightroom of processing um i don't push it too far and then i'll stack it and then I'll bring it back into Lightroom, and then I'll you know, push it further with the processing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you do some basic run through what you would do in any image, white balance, figure out the lens profiling, and stack, and make all those changes, export the TIFFs, yeah. stack them. The one thing you don't want to do is the lens profiling um, because it'll oh, screw, really? yeah, it'll, it'll you'll get um, banding across your image if you do that. Um, so don't don't do the lens profiling until you get it back into Lightroom afterwards. So the combined final TIFF image can have a lens profile adapted to it, and it's okay? It doesn't have any weirdness? No, no. Okay, that's big. Awesome. So I turned your story of going out there and seeing the bioluminescence out in the Great Barrier all about a stacking lesson. So let me go back to the Great Barrier experience. Um, what was some of the challenges that came up with bioluminescence? Did you find yourself changing settings at all to try and adapt for it? Yeah, no, you don't really need to change settings. It just basically glows more in your foreground. 
um, it's it's quite nice and you know it just adds that extra bit of detail in in the foreground that you normally wouldn't get. Um, so I, I didn't really need to change any settings. It was, it was just a just really we're already doing a long shutter. It shows up then, huh? Yeah, exactly. Like you know, it's it's kind of like I, I guess when you're looking at the night sky here in New Zealand, you look at say the Malagenic clouds. They look like little clouds in the sky like fluffy and your eyes are looking at it and going is that a cloud or is that something else and when you take a photo of it you have this you know really nice galaxy in your, in your image and the bioluminescence is much the same okay right on it just pops off it just accent yeah. no yeah. extra work to get it just capture yeah <laughs> is it something that lasts the whole night or is it fleeting could it have gone away all of a sudden yes fleeting and yeah it comes and goes like sometimes it gets really intense and then sometimes it's gone and you come back to the same spot the next night and it's not there at all. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So don't mess around when you see it, guys. Just capture right away. Change lenses maybe once or twice, but just don't burn through your time yep. and capture and capture and capture. Yeah. Awesome. So then what's another adventure that you've been on? With your doing Milky Way photography plus a time lapse, can mm -hmm. you take us through an adventure that you've gone through and kind of guide us on how you set up your shot? Like what is mark g's approach to a good image um well basically i do my scouting in the daytime i always scout in the daytime like i always look at the locations uh through photo fills as well um i'll go to the actual location and use the augmented reality um feature and actually take a photo and see where the milky way is going to be at the time i want to shoot it and then i'll come back at night and, and shoot it and sometimes i even pile up some rocks where i've set my camera up to take this photo so I can come back oh, at yeah. night and see exactly where I was set up. So it saves you a lot of time, um, you know, setting up and, and shooting again. Uh, one other thing I do when I do go back, because if you're doing test shots, it's like 30 seconds per test shot, right? So you've got to wait for 30 seconds right. or whatever. Um, I yeah. crank my ISO to as high as what the camera can go. Um, I think on the Nikon 850D, it's around 256,000. And that way I only have to shoot like one second test shots, but you can see all the detail. So you just shoot, test shot, not not quite right, line it up. So that saves you waiting for the 30-second exposures each time. And then once you've got it composed, then you can change your camera settings back. And it just t saves a lot of time doing. Um, so when I do go to these places, I usually give myself about an hour before I know I have to shoot because if anything is going wrong, it will always go wrong and then you always have to stuff around for about <laughs> an hour or so. Um, right. especially with time lapses because time lapses, um, you know, you may be shooting straight off the tripod with time lapse, which is fine. Uh, but if you're introducing like a motion controlled slider or motion control pan or tilt, um, you oh, just, right. you just need the extra time to, to line your shots up and, and get it all right and just play through it. Um, because it is, it's quite time consuming to get it right. Um, and you can easily stuff it up as well. Right, you add another point where it could break or fall apart on you. Yeah, and you add those other machines. Yeah, yeah that, that. And so an hour at least you give yourself. Yeah, I always go. I found to give myself an hour because I've given them myself like half an hour, and it still hasn't been enough. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's just if you, especially if you want to do it right, you got to go through things in your head and sort of panicking because you know the Milky Way is going to be in this perfect location. You you just need to be ready to go, and even if you are ready within ten minutes or so, you can still take photos. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> right? Take two cameras, runs on the tripod, time-lapsing, and one's going with you. So Mark G is looking at a composition that he's testing with his quick test shots. 
How do you rank the items in your image? What are you trying to make look a certain way? What's your most priority compositional tricks? Yeah, well, composition is the biggest thing. Um, and I treat it like a landscape photo, basically. Um, you know, you, you basically composition around, you can basically composition around the rules, like the rule of thirds and, and that kind of thing. But rules are meant to be broken as well. Um, right. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I'm lucky. I have a have a bit of a natural eye to all this kind of stuff. Um, I guess I've been doing it for so long now, so it comes naturally for me. But some people find it hard to to get set up compositions. But foreground interest is a big thing. Um, always look for foreground interests. Um, you know, you need at least two thirds of the sky in your in the film. So if you base it, if you break your frame up into thirds, have one third for the landscape, two thirds for the sky. Um, of course, that can change. Um, you know, you can right. those rules, um, but that's that's the main thing. And just something of interest, something that breaks the horizon, even like a rock feature or something like that against the Milky Way, and and just have it balanced out. Um, you know, usually I, I put things off to the sides. I don't put things in the middle, and a lot of times. But then you might have, you know, you might want to have a shot of yourself standing there. You have yourself standing there in the Milky Way underneath the arch, kind of thing. So put that in the- yeah um but there's there's so many it's just a matter of experimenting and, and i find that look at other people's photos as well who are, are really good at um composition you know you don't want to copy them or emulate them but just take their ideas into consideration um you know what you see and you can see it's anyone go out and take a photo of the night sky but it's the people with the composition that really you know makes makes the photo something special so that's that's my number one is composition Right on. And that's true. Like what you said about having lucky eye. I think I have your lucky eye and I find it sometimes almost a different language to communicate with people who don't have it and don't Mm -hmm. see it. And it doesn't matter what I say I'm doing. It seems just like I'm talking in Cleon to them. They don't quite follow. And yet it seems so natural for me. And so you're definitely one of the lucky people who have that naturally and how you try and learn that outside of it coming natural to you is just following the rules and then breaking the rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And just taking inspiration from other people, you know, you, you don't need to copy them, but just take that inspiration. doesn't mean you have to go to the same location and get the same composition and take that photo. It's, it's just going out, trying something different and, and keeping what they've done in mind. Right on. Well then before we end this segment, let me ask you, tell us about your most successful time-lapse adventure. Uh, my most successful time last adventure would have been the the Holy Grail from the day the day to night to day. I guess um, <laughs> it was a thirteen hour time lapse. Uh, it was a bit of a hail mary as well. I um, <laughs> had to, <laughs> I was testing new equipment. Uh, I didn't know if my battery was going to last all night long. Um, I just there were so many things that could have gone wrong. But it was like I set it up and just pressed go i came back halfway through the night to, to see if it was all going well and to my surprise everything was still working and i just couldn't believe it um and wow. by, by the morning it, it completed and nothing screwed up it was, it was incredible so that was probably my most successful time left adventure really and that was at cape palliser which is about two and a half hours from where i live in wellington um so, so yeah two and a half hour drive just to get there so you already committed a lot to making this work yeah what yeah. were you featuring other than having it go to sunset to mm-hmm. sunrise and milky way there's a there's a, light, yeah, there's a lighthouse there so I, I set myself up high above the lighthouse and, and behind it so as it 
as the cameras panned around, you, you see the lighthouse, it's off at the start and then it comes on and then you pan off it and then you see the Milky Way rising and then you see the sun rising. All right. um, okay. So the lighthouse was the big, you know, the big feature in between the sunset and the Milky Way rise. Oh, is there anything that went almost wrong or was it just that much of a Hail Mary put together and you let it run? I just, <laughs> that was pretty much it. I just let it run. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can, and I can just screw up other time lapses so easily, but this one was just, it was just meant to be, I guess. <laughs> that almost was too easy of a story. Before we, go, I'm going to ask one more story just because I got to find out. But yeah. quickly, what battery did you begin to use? You're on a Nikon. How did you run all night long? Um, well, this was, I shot this on a Canon, actually. This is like the end of my Canon days. Um, oh, okay. I have a battery grip. And surprisingly, it lasted 13 no hours. It was, I, <laughs> I know, because I, I, I was going to change batteries halfway through the night, but I saw it <laughs> and I thought, right, I don't need to. And it just, just, just yeah, it just ran. Um, and the time That's lapse plus, yeah, I know. And the time lapse plus view battery lasts way longer than 13 hours, plus the, the cert um, genie I was using as well, that batteries last way longer than that as well. So it was only the camera I was most worried about. Um, I also had my lens heater scrapped as well, which I was powering off a USB. Um, so, yeah, everything ran and everything, everything kept running. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, other, other than sounding like the guy who's got perfect moon time lapses that everyone loves, perfect photography, and everything just goes well because bioluminescence shows up wherever Mark G goes, is there any experience you've had where things have gone wrong? Oh, there's Maybe there's some Mark oh, there's, G out there yeah, that they can relate to. Oh, there's plenty. There's plenty of experiences that go <laughs> wrong. Um, What's your favorite one to share? Yeah, the one I share is, is um, I went down to Tasman Valley in in uh, Mount Cook, which is part of the International Star, Dark Sky Reserve down there near Tekapo. Um, and that's a place that's hopefully – I'm pretty sure you're going to go and visit there because you, you're crazy if you don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> um, it's It's – the Tasman Valley is is a is a, an amazing valley. There's a like a, a glacier lake, and they get icebergs on the lake, and all that kind of stuff as well, as yes. well as the Milky Way and the snow capped mountains. It's it's, an, it's <laughs> especially when you're up there by yourself. There's no one for miles. It's just so feels so remote, and like you're the only person in the world. And um, I went up there to shoot a time lapse. So I hiked to the top of the you know the where the lookout was and where I was going to set this thing up, and it's probably about a I don't know, about a half an hour hike, so it's not too bad. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and I got up there and, and um, started setting up, and it was so cold that my camera wouldn't work to start with. Whoa. Yeah, and Fresh I Fresh batteries, everything still wasn't working. It just wasn't working, and I just put, put the batteries in my pockets trying to heat everything up, and, and then, <laughs> then, I've got the, then I've got the camera working again, and um, – my motion control unit was fine, and then that froze up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I just couldn't. I just couldn't get that going again. Um, and it was the most absolutely perfect night. And there was an aurora as well to the south. Oh, so, an um, aurora australis. Yeah, yeah awesome. aurora australis. And I couldn't even get. And in the end, I thought, okay, I'm going to screw it. I'm, I'm not going with the time lapse anymore. I'm just going to take still photos. So I sent my tripod on. They put my camera on and then the camera froze again so I couldn't take any photos whatsoever this night. Oh. This is after mucking around for about an hour and a half. And, and by that time, the Milky Way position was totally out of place and my oh, composition man. was ruined. <laughs> so, 
It, um, uh, and it was only your camera that wasn't working. Everything else was going brilliant for you. Just the camera wouldn't yeah, start it was a, or yeah, stay well, going. It was the, it's just the batteries just got so cold, I think. And, and like I sort of had charged them and they lost their charge so quickly because it was so cold. Ow. It was like, wow. I, yeah, it was, I think that night was around minus 15 or something like that. Um, so Yikes. That was in August, was it? That's when we'll be there. It was, around, it was in August. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. okay bring 17 batteries four yeah. of them t- strapped to my body like that's right it, uh i'm <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't always go that go that cold this is an extremely cold night uh, uh, you definitely don't have you, you're usually hovering around zero minus five or something like that um but this was extraordinarily cold <sighs> what was that like when you realized you weren't going to get anything um a lot of frustration um, but hey, I was there, and I got to en- I got to enjoy the show <laughs> while I was there. You saw it, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was nice just sitting there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was highly frustrating because the next day, I thought I'll come back the next night and do it, but it was totally clouded over. <laughs> <sighs> How bad is that area for clouds? Uh, just a usual or a really well, really clear surprise? Well, it's, yeah, you can have really clear, and then within you know minutes, it can be totally clouded in. It's it's mountain range, so. What happens is the mountains usually the clouds usually push up against the um, range from the west coast, and oh. then sometimes they just come over and, that, and like in an instant. And it's but but <laughs> if you get clear nights down there, it's it's the most amazing sight that you will ever see. Sounds like during our week that we'll be down there, we can plan on trying it. But it's not something that's a pointless effort in August. It's still opportunity. Oh no! Still oh, it's definitely. Oh, definitely. Do definitely go there. It's, it's, it's you got to head into Mount Cook, without a doubt. Mount Cook, yeah. awesome. That's incredible that you've had such great good luck and then that experience. The batteries, I guess the only way you could have solved that would have been to come with many, many, many batteries, right? I mean, nothing else you could have done. Yeah. You didn't get a single image off, not even one exposure? Oh, I got one exposure, but it was like testing it at the high ISO. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it was useless it. to process. <laughs> man okay dang it well we've all been there from different reasons our cameras won't work or whatnot we've been at that position so it's a good thing you're alone i'm sure a few curse words were launched and that maybe other people would have heard that let's go ahead and go into our last break of the podcast and we'll come back with mark g and talk more about locations from places that are mark's favorites how many of you have crossed off your bucket list new zealand milky way photography Wait, none of you or one or two of you, maybe a few of you who live in New Zealand are saying, yeah, I have. It's easy. What I'd like to do is go to Utah. Well, guys, let's go out there. Join me next August and let's all mark New Zealand off the bucket list and see the Southern Hemisphere Milky Way. See the hemisphere that shows off the Magellanic Clouds. I mean, come on, see the Milky Way core in all of its glory from the left side and the right side and see all of it taper off into the more simple and more boring areas of the Milky Way band. I'm just so excited to see and take all of that in. Oh, what a fascinating, awesome opportunity this is going to be for us to get there, see it, capture it, have some amazing additions to our portfolios of Milky Way photography, and again, bucket list marking offing. Marking offing. So come marking offing your bucket list with me next year in New Zealand. It's August 17th through August 24th, 2020. Check it out on workshops.photogadventures.com. 
Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. I'm really enjoying my time here hanging out with Mark G. I'm glad that I could get him on and talk about the Southern Hemisphere. The beauty and grandeur of seeing the Milky Way up high like that and seeing everything. I mean, it's already amazing, Mark, and yet you've got the Magellanic Clouds. I just, I can't wait to knock that off my bucket list. Yep. I can die after I've done that because <laughs> then I feel like I've really, I've hit the last thing I really, really absolutely need. I don't need to be greedy. Don't need to be greedy. I can die even then. Oh, I'm excited. So those of you who are thinking New Zealand, um, if we wanted to hit up Mark G's three favorite spots, what would those places be? Uh, there's way more than three favorites, so it's quite easy. Um, Great Barrier Island. <laughs> Should we go to five? Because we'll yeah. take it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Let's, yeah. So Great Barrier Island, definitely, <laughs> on, on the North, North Island. Um, it's off Auckland. It's it's about a 30-minute plane ride from Auckland Airport in a small plane, and it's, it's quite remote. Um, you know, mostly there's a lot of gravel roads, um, not many people, and it's, it's perfect for shooting in the night sky. Um, if you're flying in there, are you just renting a vehicle at the airport, you can, I guess? Yeah, well, you can rent a vehicle. I rent a head before actually going to the there's, there's not much of the airport at all. <laughs> there, is, there is a rental there. Um, I'd, I'd rent a head um, before you get on okay. the island. <laughs> Is it uh, a mostly coastal Milky Way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's facing the the main parts. The best parts is facing east because you're looking out nothing between you and South America. Basically, um, if you go to the west coast, you got got light pollution from Auckland. So keep keep to the east coast there. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. What's another fantastic area out there? Um, the Central Plateau in New Zealand, um, Mount Ruapeu, uh, is, is a fantastic place. Um, that's where Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings is oh, located. Oh, really? Yes. Yep. Um, and that is a, another very dark place. Plus you have those amazing mountains as your backdrop. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's remote, but there's, a, there's enough around there, you know, lots of accommodation because they have ski fields there as well. Um, so Head, head there in winter. It's 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 pretty magical, um, and and dark. Is it something that you have to hike a lot to get the best out of? No, it? you don't. You can pretty much drive along and and pull up on the side of the road oh, and nice. jump out and just walk in a little bit and and get these compositions of the mountains. Man, okay, sweet. What kind of? It basically, you said compositions of the mountains. So you're having a chance to feature the the outlines or yeah, the outlines, blend, the time blended, and, and especially when they're snow capped. Um, the snow, you know, is is quite bright. So oh, okay. you, know, you have that, and you can and you can have capture the Milky Way bow over them as well. So oh, it's, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. So it's it's is quite the terrain a, quite a visible place. enough in your exposure, or do you need to do anything to have a better exposure for the foreground? No, it's no, it's you should be in, should regular exposure. Um, like you know, if I if I go there, I shoot. I'm at, at the moment I'm shooting around, I'm stacking as well. So I'm shooting around 15 seconds, uh, ISO 6400 okay. and F4. Um, so that's, that's enough to pull the detail out of, of a raw file. And that's an F2.8 lens you said earlier, right? It's, that you're stopping down to F4. Just stopping that down a little bit, but if you're a little bit stuck in, as far as the ISO, if your ISO doesn't perform well in the higher range, just keep it at F2.8, uh, your lens. There's, there's no big deal. I just try and get as a better quality image out of it. That's all that is. All right. Right on. So, what's another area? Uh, it would have to be around here, around Wellington. Uh, I like it. We're so lucky. We're the capital city of New Zealand, and 
It's the only capital city in the world I've been that you can actually see the Milky Way with the naked eye. And I and that, I was just going to ask that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like we're lucky because we have hills all around the city. So any light pollution that's within the, the center of the city is contained by those hills. So wow. All around the south coast, um, you know, when you point towards the South Island, and you can actually see the South Island from Wellington as well, um, you capture these beautiful dark Milky Way shots. Um, it's not as dark as some of the other areas in New Zealand, but it's still naked eye Milky Way, and you can still get some amazing shots from there. And occasionally you can see the aurora, not not all the time, but maybe once or twice a year. Interesting. Is it something that ever gets above you, or is it just on your horizon? It's just on the horizon, yeah. Yeah, it's never. Gotcha. Yeah, not that. Never that close. Um, and not only in Wellington, but Cape Palliser, which I, I mentioned before, where, where I did that time lapse. Um, the, day to night today um that's about two and a half hours away in the wire wrapper the wire wrapper is going for a dark sky sanctuary status um at the moment oh, yeah and it is dark out there so it's another amazing location so it's the closest dark sky location to me um and yeah it's it's quite incredible out there oh, oh awesome now when we talked in email you mentioned southern island going for milky way what are the two places in southern island that you think of first when you think milky way well, a lot of people think Tekapo, um, which is yeah. Dark Sky Reserve, and it's very commercial there. Um, it is very, it is dark. There's no doubt about that. But I think Mount Cook is much better, and that's about a 40 minute drive south of uh, Tekapo. Um, although it's yeah, well, although at Tekapo, you can still get some really lovely dark sky images. But I would head out from the township a little bit. I'd drive around the lake um, and head further. To the to the west, um, and well, it's actually north along that lake, um, and get some some photos out lakeside further out. Go and explore in the daytime um, because there's some places where you can just pull in off the road and get to the lakeside, uh, but it'll be a lot darker than actually within the township. But having said that, brilliant, you're walking down the main street of the town, you look up and the Milky Way's visible to the naked eye, so it's not that bad. It's pretty amazing then, if that's true. Yeah, awesome. I still can't get over the fact that the actual capital city of your country is probably the only capital city of any country where you can see the Milky Way. That's astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that makes it the best capital city in the world. I know you're from Australia, but maybe you're biased too towards New Zealand now that you've lived yeah, there for so many years. Yeah, yeah, I think I am now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With Mount Cook being a definite, yeah. your second definite. Oh uh, yeah, Mount Cook is is a definite, definite. Um, oh, there's there's lots of there's lots of hidden locations. Like anywhere rural on the South Island is is amazing. You just have to pull over and, and take a photo, really. Um, but <laughs> down there's a there's a location down just out of Queenstown. It's it's only a, like a 20, 30 minute drive from Queenstown Central, and it's called um, uh, Lake Mo Moak Lake, and it's a lake which gets like glass sometimes, and it points south. So if you've got the Aurora Australis, you you can see that um, from oh. there, and you can get the reflections in the water. Um, if you don't have it, you still have you know you're pointing south again. You get reflections of the melogenic clouds and and the back half of the Milky Way. Um, it's it's a really amazing location when you get on a on a clear and still night. 
you really get reflections of the Magellanic clouds? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, that just added a second layer to my bucket list of the Magellanic clouds. <laughs> See them, capture them, plus get them in a reflection because that sounds freaking awesome. Yep. <laughs> the same exposures, I imagine. You're not changing yeah, anything for the I'll Magellanic clouds. They just yeah. pop up with everything else. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, man, Mark, it's been hugely fun having you back on the podcast. I hope that you'll jump in with me again in the future. Maybe, you know, before two and a half years from now, oh, yeah. we'll get on again. So I mentioned this before. I'd like to hit it as kind of the climax of the movie we're having here with Mark G. If you are Mark G today and you know all this about Milky Way photography, time lapse or standard, single stacking, what do you tell Mark G at the beginning of your photography career? What kind of advice would you give all of us in order to help us? <laughs> um, stick with it be, and be patient. Like there's there's many times, like you, you get, you're quite motivated and everything at the start, um, but there's a lot of things that can go wrong and it can be quite frustrating. Uh, when I first started out, um, there wasn't that many people shooting Milky Way photography just yet, um, but now there's so much more information around there. Um, but you still hear of people getting really frustrated and not getting the results that they want to get. Um, but it's, it's a matter of, you know, sticking with it, um, being like a sponge and learn as much as you can. Uh, listen to podcasts like, you know, uh, Photographic Adventures and, and, you know, just there's so many people on YouTube these days giving away advice for free. Um, go and soak in all that information. <laughs> And just get out there and, and keep shooting. Absolutely. I know that with just me getting out there, making the commitment to go once a month was enough. It was pretty much the university I needed was experience and time. Just dedicate that and you'll get there. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Mark, where can everyone find your stuff? Where can we go to follow you and give you a thanks by hitting another like and subscribe to whatever you do? Um, just look for The Art of Night. So the Art of Night. All the social media is there. Underneath the Art of Night. Do you have artofnight.com as well, right? Yeah, artofnight.com. Um, and then you'll find links to my social media from there as well. Fantastic. There's also, there's, I forgot to mention, there's also the Art of Night photography group where everyone can come and join in and post their pictures. Oh, right on. Yeah, there's about Is six, that a Facebook On group? Facebook, yeah, yeah. There's about 60, 65,000 people on that one. Only 65,000, okay. <laughs> 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 so a lot of people sharing their work. That's fantastic. Awesome. Guys, get out there and join the Art of Night Photography group if you can, and you'll be in the large group of 65,000 people, and you'll see some awesome stuff, I bet. Things that'll make you crazy envious and jealous, I'm sure, but also spur you ahead, spur you ahead to getting out there. So it's really been fantastic. Hang with you, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on and being on with me. And everyone, thank you so much for following. Again, if you like this content, don't thank me. You could thank Mark G, but don't thank me. Thank the patrons who are supporting me over at patreon.com forward slash Photog Adventures. It's been fantastic being here. Thanks so much, Mark. I hope you have a good week and good luck finishing up the movie for though it's coming out in December. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll be looking forward to being that out of that one and back out shooting the stars. Oh, yeah. That's right. January will be back out. Oh, man. And you'll be enjoying your summer. So you yeah, enjoy exactly. warm weather again. That's right. <sighs> <laughs> in the future, Mark, someday I will retire. Every every year I will end and move to the Southern Hemisphere. I, I'm sick of this winter stuff. I don't think I want to experience it ever again. <laughs> All right, guys, have a good one, and be back next week for another Photog Adventures podcast. Later, guys.